Imagine being 13 years old, right? And if you're not 13 years old, you're going to get there. And if you were 13 years old, like not too long ago, it's going to feel like much longer when you get older. And so you're 13 years old. It's a Sunday quite like this. The sun is going down and maybe you've got some traditions. Well, in traditions in my house, my dad or uh, my stepdad would get out the grill sometimes and he'd like just start grilling meat and stuff like that. And my, they'd turn on the radio and my mom would be prepping something and we'd be all outside doing what 13-year-olds do. And they turn on their music station. And Young Bucks, or, or if you're in your 20s, one day there's going to be a station designed specifically for you. And songs that you thought were like pretty recent when you were like a teenager or something, you're going to be like, ooh, wait, that's on the oldie station now. And it will date you and age you. Everybody in the room goes through it. And so we would listen to my parents' music. And you know, just like all 13-year-olds, some stuff we liked, some stuff we didn't like. But it seemed to me that my whole family agreed that one of the best artists in the world, and I, I would say one arguably the best R&B artist in the world, Stevie Wonder. Yes. See, I like it. All right. I'm going to tell you where we're going to go real quick. All right. And Stevie Wonder had a song called uh, Lately. Um, it's supposed to be playing right now. Um, and, you know, it came on and, and I was a young person at the time and I'd hear it. And it's just a song that did a very great job of, of capturing the suspicion of potentially if his, his wife or, or, or girlfriend was, was cheating on him at the time. And it caused all sorts of insecurity. And being 11, 12 or 13 years old and, and experiencing that, like Stevie Wonder just had a way of making you experience real life. Well, one day at 13 years old, my mom says something that shocked me. She comes down the stairs. It's a little bit late at night. And she says, turn on the TV. And we turn on the TV and we turn on MTV. And then, oh, well, hold up. This is the song we're supposed to be listening to. And it's real calm, real nice. And if you're not familiar with Stevie Wonder, um, college students, I, hey, do it. It's wonderful, like nice and calm and everything. Had the strangest feelings that we've been slowly drifting apart. Oh, anyway. So then, <laughs> this got to do that. Because one day my mom comes downstairs, and I mean, she's a little rushed. And my mom like came downstairs, and all of us, my brothers and I were sitting down there. She said, turn on MTV. Now, that's kind of shocking to a 14-year-old. Uh, we were like, did she say turn on MTV? Mama's endorsing this? And we turn on MTV, and we're like, oh, Jodeci's on. But it was only KC and JoJo. And, well, they start singing. Yeah, oh, there you go. Who yes. <laughs> and as they start singing, I'm like, oh, I feel a little torn because we had grown up and indoctrinated that Stevie Wonder was great and nothing could touch him. And he starts singing. And later on in the song, as it keeps going and going with all the ad-libs, it's, my family didn't go to church at the time. But if you've ever been around a certain particular ethnic group and we start to feel stuff, it starts to feel like church and ain't church ain't got nothing to do with it. And at one particular point, man, my man Casey and Jojo must have hit that note. And for a group of people who don't go to church, all our hands went up in worship. All of our hands went up to acknowledge the greatness that had just unfolded in that moment. 
See, what had happened was is that we had heard a great song, and this great song that was heard and, and spoken, we'd heard it one time before, and it hit us a certain way. But when KC and JoJo sang it, it just hit us another way. And like I said, if you ain't got no black friends, hey, you get, get some more, because you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna have a church moment one time. Someone's going to say something. Some, we, just, we all went like this, and I imagine that most of ethnic America, who was low SES at the time, all went like this when KC and JoJo started singing and we stood up and we was like lately. And if you ever watched the NAACP awards, Earth, Wind and Fire or something come on like that, I guarantee you, you ain't experienced black church, but you will experience it in that moment. And all that's to say is that occasionally, sometimes the same things are done and, and they're repackaged because they're just great within themselves. We have it with movies like Rocky and Creed, Star Wars and Star Wars The Force Awakens where the same story is told over and over again and something about it still captures our imagination. Taming of the Shrew, 10 Things I Hate About You, A Star Is Born, A Star Is Born was in 2018, A Star Is Born in 1976, A Star Was Born in 1954, and I guarantee you in 2044, A Star Still Will Be Born. Because those things are told, and it happens all the time in entertainment. And it could be these little subtle things that recreate and say the same message and hits us in certain ways. For example, the show The Office and the show Superstore. NBC, they're the same thing and you know it. If you watch that show, you know it. It's the same story. You know it's true. So today, Spark, what I'm going to do is we're going to hear the same message that was said from the beginning in 1 John. We're going to talk about it in a particular way because I believe that all John does was does something that we already know. He takes Jesus or the writer of John takes Jesus and he says it in a particular way to this particular church. And it's something that they already knew, but maybe it sounded different. So hopefully today there's some things that will hit you the same that we've already known. And it's going to be a, 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 what they call them, oldie but goodies. The, 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 the oldie but goodies. Something, we can't throw out the old, but it's going to be an oldie but goodie. And we start with this particular text. Dear friends, let us to continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love God does not know God, for God is love. God showed us how much he loved us by sending us his one and only son into the world that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us first and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Uh, sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to us in a full expression in us. This week, I had the pleasure of listening to that letter through a wonderful app called Streetlights. And it's an audio Bible. Uh, it's an audio Bible app with kind of sophisticated hip hop beats brought, uh, as the scripture is read. And I want to give a, a, a thank you to uh, Charlie uh, Magbunwa which is like Uncle Charlie to the Octar children because he turned me on to it. And uh, if he's listening to the podcast right now, hey, big shout out to that guy. And I love their mission because the mission of the app is to translate, teach, and proclaim God's word through creative communication and innovative production so that all people, regardless of educational background or knowledge of the Bible, can engage in the scripture. See, listening to that scripture this week 
it kind of confirmed something that I'd already known. That I'd read this letter over and over again, and I knew that there was a rhythm. And that rhythm to me was, was really interesting because, well, to me, it felt like the letter went like, claim about God, then it's broken down, then it's kind of brought back. Then it's like, well, it's almost as like claim made about God, then it's broken down, then it's brought back. The claim is picked up, then it's broken down, then it's brought back. Then it's sped up, it's slowed down, then it's broken down, then it's broken down. Then it's broken down, bust down, broke it down, bust it down, bust it. I want to see. You don't even know what I just did there. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. And as with many things biblical, there's a lot of scholars and opinions out there. And one commentator, P.R. Jones' take was real basic. He basically said that it was broken down to where God is light, God is righteousness, God is love. And the pattern I listened to was, was who God it was and how, we inter- and how we interact with others, noting how the author takes God and Jesus and makes them the same person. And, and that's what I felt that the, the scripture was. It's basically claim about God, who he is, and how we interact with others reflects who God is in us and reflects who God is to other people. We see it in 1 John, where, where God is light. And if we came to be light carriers of the light, it will come out in how we treat each other and how we love each other. Then we kind of later on see it in 1 John 3, where he says, you're God's children. And how will people know that you're God's children? Well, simply by the way you know each other. God is righteousness. Well, how will you learn how to practice righteousness? By loving each other. And then 1 John 4 kind of does this break that um, a couple weeks back, I thought a, a wonderful job by Pastor Omer, where he begins to identify, uh, take John 2, and they talk about false teachers and how false teachers and, and get broken down. And he's talking specifically to that church and how the teachings were causing a little bit of a, a breakup and, and causing real distress within the church. And he's beginning to say, here's how you can identify the spirit of the Antichrist. And here's how you can uh, point him out. And then the text takes this kind of abrupt turn. It's almost as if he goes like, hey, just, ah. And it's almost as if in the middle of the text, he just stops. He goes, I'm going to keep this real basic. We don't even have to go with how we can identify false teachers or anything. Let's bring it back to the main theme, which is he talks specifically about, dear friends, how do you love each other? And he begins to tell him, look, dear friends, beloved. I I just got to love it because the way he interrupts the text, beloved, dear friends, let us continue to love one another because love comes from God. Then he says, anyone who loves God is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not know God does not love, uh, does not, uh, does not know God for God is love. God has loved, showed his love this much by sending his one and only son into the world that we may have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that God loved, uh, loved us first. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought in full expression. N.T. Wright points out that throughout this particular text, in particular 1 John, that the word love and agape is mentioned 27 times. 
And we here at Spark hear this every week. We teach it to our children. And if you've been in particular church traditions, it talks about how if we love God, and that's the most important command, Jesus, our Messiah, says, hey, hey, people tried to test him. What's the most important commandment, Jesus? And Jesus says, well, hey, you know what it is. It's the one that you knew from when you were little. It's the Shema. It's here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your strength. And then the second one is just like it. Then he says, hey, love your neighbor as yourself. And if you were a Jewish person back then, or even now, that tradition is carried with you. That message has been grained inside of you since you were little. That has been bound upon your heart. And the writer of this letter says, hey, through all the chaos, through everything that's going on, I want to tell you particular church, hey, love each other. The reason why this is important, because if you love each other, they'll know you're from me and it'll draw people closer to you. It's almost as the writer says, hey, I want to run it back to you over and over again. Hey, you already know you're good followers of Jesus. You guys know the commandments like what's been ingrained from you from the beginning? Come on, dude, you know this already. And I imagine if you have children, you've probably done this a couple of times with them before. Hey, look, you, you know this already. You know, I, I don't know. I, I, we haven't been blessed with children yet, but I, I tend to look at you guys and, and parent at a proxy because you guys have great patience. I mean, I imagine that you sometimes have to say things over and over again and with great patience and great love and, and just everything that's in there. And sometimes you got to be like, hey, we went over this already. Like, come on, it's time to go, you know. Just, I get it. I, I, I understand it, you know, and you have to have to do that. But how we love each other is so important because it begins to reflect what our community is supposed to be like. And we have all sorts of things going on. We have all sorts of difference. But loving God and loving people, that's a little tough because it's one and the same. I love how when Jesus is approached by the different people and he's asked that particular question, he doesn't hold one over the other. I remember a couple of years ago, my like my spiritual inside, for say, was just rocked. It, it was just shifted because here at Spark, I believe it was either Kevin or Danielle had just basically said the same thing over, but I just heard it a little differently. And when I heard that loving God and loving people were the exact same thing and, and just as important, it shifted my whole spiritual being into attention. And it made me immediately think of first John, because when first John states that, you know, how can I love God who I don't see, but um, how can I love God who I don't see, but yet hate my brother who I do see that again, it just changed everything right then and there. It began to reframe how I began to think about, man, loving God and loving people are, are one and the same. I, I can't do one over the other. And it caused this kind of tension in you. And I don't know every once in a great while I feel like our relationship with God should bring attention. And, and that tension is, ooh, see, if, if I start to love people, it becomes a little bit more difficult because, well, well you know, you know how people are. They just, they got this way about them. And I don't know, just, and it's not like, you know, the people you like, you like, but the, but the people, you know, cause it's easy. Jesus even talks about it. You know, it's like, Hey, you know, anyone, he talks about outsiders, pagans, anyone can love their family and love people you like, but those, 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 
those people. You know, not those people. I mean those people because we all have those people. Maybe it's that coworker that you work underneath or side by side and you don't know what it is about them, but just something about it just gets underneath your skin or something like that. And if you have a high patience level, that's pretty awesome. And, and you know, those people, you, I mean, those people and not them, but those people, the, 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 how do I, how do I love them? And, and like I said, that particular shift took place. And then I began to realize, well, if I love you, God, I, I got to love those people. And those people oftentimes see things differently than I see. That those people oftentimes have different political views than I have. I mean, they may do things like as a traditional Lakers fan, they might like the Boston Celtics. I don't see how you could do that. Mm, but, you know, hey, those people. <laughs> and yet God says love them. And he tells us to, to love them in such a way that transcends all the outside bounds. Because he says that if you love them in a particular way, hey, that's a reflection of me. And then he begins to challenge and push us a little bit more. Because then he says, hey, love each other. And this command was so important that here Jesus is. You know, gonna uh, on his way to be murdered, on his way about to change kind of the spiritual destiny of well everything, and there's a lot of things I imagine he wanted to say to his disciples, and he's getting it all out, and he's talking about who he is, and you got to imagine the disciples at that time. I mean, they're probably getting real amped, they're probably getting real juice because the way he's talking in such a way has got them excited, like, oh yes, we've been following the Messiah for a while. We're underneath Roman rule, and and here it goes. And then Jesus like trips us out, and uh, he trips us out, and he says, hey, hey, check this out, guys. A new command I give you. And it's kind of like the old one. He says, a new command. Hey, love each other as I have loved you. And by this, they'll know you're of me. Now, I know they've probably, the wine's been passed around a couple of times. And they're probably thinking to themselves, like, why? Like, you know I mean, we, we get this. We, I don't know why this is a new command. I mean, like, why has this got to be new? I mean, we, we got each other's back. We've been doing this for a couple of years, not understanding what was about to occur. And so... He basically says that loving each other is this really, really important thing. And I began to think like, oh, okay. And, and then, well, God kind of does this thing with me where I'll be meditating on scripture. And I don't know if you've ever done this before, but in the psychological world, we'll call it kind of synchronicity where you're thinking about loving different people. And well, God has this way. And this week, I had a conversation with someone who I just fundamentally disagree with. This is a brother in Christ. We went to church together, and I, I still don't understand how we get along, but it's, we, we get along very, very well, actually. But he and I see fundamentally different. And he called because we have these Facebook interactions or social media. And what we've done from time to time is we've taken our social media interactions and just kind of sat down and talked because I don't think that he's this evil person and he doesn't think that I'm this evil person. And he began to do some things that mm, didn't necessarily sit too well with me. And I don't know if you've got like a fundamental, fundamental friend that like they like treat the Bible really, really literally. And it's you have to like resist the urge to think that you're quote unquote better than them or you, you know more than them. But you've got to kind of like scale it back and understand that this person has an incredibly sincere belief in, who, um, in what they believe. 
And they're not being evil. They're not being malicious. And thank God we live in a country that allows them to particularly express that belief because I can express it differently. And I realized that he began to major on things that I considered minor. And then he thought that things that I considered minor were really major. And there were these points in the conversation where we kind of had these impasses and, and I could hear him kind of be uncomfortable and I allowed myself to be uncomfortable and, and it was just a stretch. All the while, the whole time I've been listening to this particular app about, you know, loving each other and, and seeing how tough and how hard it, it would be. And so it just kind of made me realize and think that occasionally from time to time, as Christians, we're going to have doctrinal disagreements. We're going to major on minors, and it's really kind of hard to love each other through. And what really drew me into this brother was this, is that politically, he and I see things incredibly differently. But I do know that his walk with God involved him being in a fellowship group with a lot of African Americans. And so, I mean, I thought, great. And what has happened to him over the last couple of years is that many of his Christian brothers and sisters have basically disowned him, basically because of his Facebook stance. And that's actually one of our first interpersonal uh, conversations we had. So I said, hey, some of the stuff you post, it's really offensive. He didn't know it was offensive, but I brought it to the brother and then he tapered it. But he still is very much a, a supporter of the administration and I don't see anything wrong with it, but it's the way it comes off to people. And he told me about these really, really sad conversations that really hurt him. They hurt him because he said that I went out with, to eat with these folk two or three times a week. In fact, they prayed for me uh, while I was engaged. And when my wife was going through some sickness and illness, they prayed for me and they gave me packages and, and were right there for me and were my true community when my child was born. So for him, it really, really hurt that these people, because of his political views, would, would disavow him, like would just get rid of him. And I had to apologize to him. I said, I'm so sorry you felt like that. I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry that happened. But as a brother and sister in Christ, I'm like, I, I, I really don't care about your political view. It does annoy me a little bit, but like, that's what it does. Annoying doesn't mean I got to throw you out. And we continued to have this great conversation, even though he said some things that made me really, really want to like test like, oh, I really got to love him. Like, uh, I got to love him. But that's that's what it is. And I'm pretty sure we've all kind of had those particular um, particular things go on with us. And we've all as Christians and followers of Jesus, we kind of all do. There's like doctrinal disagreements. Like, how do you view Jesus coming back or if he's coming back? And so you've got one side that believes, hey, Jesus is coming. Others believe he's already come and, and all that other stuff. And, and we tend to, you know, break down in these camps and some people, they go away from it. But I think recently our political climate has kind of revealed some things. And so even in this conversation I had with this brother, we kind of went there with some real, like, tough issues. And if you've ever had tough issue conversations with a brother or sister in Christ, that's kind of tough. Because as a, uh, as a person who follows Jesus, I kind of believe in pro-choice. It's not that I'm an advocate of abortion. I just believe that, that when someone makes their choice, 
you got to be there for them regardless of whether they keep a child or regardless of whether they go through and end the pregnancy. You've just got to be there for them because I'm not called to, to judge your decision. I am called to be there for you no matter what. And for him, it was really, really important to protect the life of a child. And we had these impasses during this conversation. And I didn't hear hate from this person. He didn't hear hate from me. In fact, you could tell that he was really, really trying hard as I was trying equally as hard to understand each other. Because at one particular point, he almost asked the question, and I don't know if you've ever got this question, how can you be a Christian and this? How can you be a Christian and hold this particular stance? And I said, I could be a Christian and hold this particular stance because, well, it's something that I already knew is that I have to love the people regardless of how I feel about the decision. And so, and as a former youth pastor, I can't tell you how many times young women had come out to me and said that they had had an abortion. So at that particular point, I could either go, hey, let's, um, here's what you're supposed to say. You're wrong. Or just do what God called me to do in that moment and just love them and walk with them through that. But I also understand the other end. See, that other end of, of you want to protect life, that, that there's something inside of you is like, give this child a chance and, and, and be there for him. And it was pretty awesome the way we kind of like reconciled it because we actually built common ground on this, that we both agreed that pro-life didn't just mean pro-baby. We also, we both strongly, strongly agreed that pro-life meant from, from cradle to the grave. And no matter what, like, what happens with a child, like, we got to be there for, for them from the beginning. And it was really neat to kind of have this particular commonality with somebody you find, like, um, you, you kind of find differences with. So I want to challenge you, Spark, to do something you already know how to do. And that's love one another. And I would tell you, Spark, you love one another incredibly well. See, I already know, you already know that when the email goes out every week and Kevin needs some, Kevin and Danielle need someone to step up, I already know that you're going to step up. You see, you already know how to, that you're going to respond to the, the world vision crisis in the African countries because you already know how to do this. You as Spark already know that you're going to respond and how to love one another in such a way that draws people in. But I also want to challenge this spark. See, can we love people who are fundamentally different than us? Can we reach across the aisle and, and take away the social media divide and engage that person that we so lovingly just want to figure out how can you be a Christian and can we do that, Spark? Can we love people who are fundamentally different from us in such a way that reflects, well, not just us, but something we already knew? Can it reflect Jesus? Because you already know how to do this. And here's how I know that the church has always known how to do this. See, I grew up in the, uh, as a small child in the 80s. And I grew up in Compton, California for the first 11 years of my life. And we would go to church from time to time, but really on Sundays. But one of the things that defined Compton, California, as many low SES areas of the time, was the crack boom or the crack epidemic. And I went to an elementary school where predominantly African-American. In fact, we had one uh, Mexican young man in our class. But everybody 
everybody in the school had a very close relative who was addicted to crack. Whether it was a mom, dad, aunt, uncle, somebody, it was grandma, it was a, a extreme, like you just knew somebody. It, it didn't, didn't know who it affected. And we, would go, we went to the small private Christian school, but I also noticed in church that the loving support that many of these communities offered people who were suffering because they had a relative or someone on track on crack, or maybe it was a grandmother who had to re like raise kids again because, well, her daughter had made some bad decisions. And that made such an impact on me because even then I saw the humanization of people who made not so great decisions. And occasionally, well, actually quite frequently, people who were addicted to crack would come into church and you didn't see like this, oh, you know, fire and brimstone. But what you also saw was like people who knew the person's name. They'd hug them. They'd love them. They'd offer them food to eat. Now, they weren't condemning. The, I mean, they weren't condoning their activity or anything like that. But they loved their mom. They loved their dad. And I saw the church be this loving place. I saw the church like really kind of be this hospital to people who, who, were, who were really suffering at the time and the whole community kind of suffered from it. And I imagine that even now that in certain parts of America where opioids is kind of the drug of choice nowadays, that there are still small churches or even large churches that are doing that today. See, it's something that we already knew how to do as a church. It's something that was always inside of us. So I want to just like challenge your spark. Can we take it to another place? Because I love what Jesus does. See, when he talks to that Pharisee and the dude like tries to um, justify himself, it's almost as if Jesus elevates it. And he's like, yeah, love God. How do you read the commandments? Love God, love people. And then he tells the story of the good Samaritan. And I, it's very interesting to me how that's gotten watered down. But I love the cultural context of it that Samaritans were not necessarily the most like people. That I imagine that when Samaritans, that gospel hit them for the first time, folks who was of a traditional uh, religious practice was like, wait, wait, Samaritans are in? Wait, how, how did they receive Jesus? And it made them feel a little uncomfortable. And yet the gospel grew and we see it in Acts later when the first set of uh, uh, outsiders or, or pagans or what we call Gentiles come in. I know that must have really made them feel uncomfortable. And yet it kept going and it kept growing and it kept moving to one particular day. It's like, man, we, we got to love them, too. And the way we love each other, like kept drawing people in. And so I want to challenge us. Church, I want to challenge the spark to do something that you already know how to do. And that's love each other and love uh, other people. Because in doing so, you're loving God and it draws people in. And with that, I'm just going to pray because you guys already know what to do. Jesus, I thank you for spark. I thank you for each of these children. I thank you for this, com uh, this commandment. And I thank you for the challenge. Because the challenge is, is ahead of us. It's simply this. You've called us to love you, Lord, with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our strength. And you've also called us to love our neighbor, which means those within our church community and those within, uh, outside of that church community as ourselves. 
and neither one commandment is above the other. You call us to do both and, and that's a heavy, heavy call, but give us the grace to continue to do it. And Lord, I really, really pray and thank you for Spark, who's already doing it. And for these challenges that will come up this week where they're going to learn how to love at a whole new level. Because when we love each other, and when we love others, we're loving you. And that's what you called us to do. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. May you sparkers never, ever get tired of being reminded once again of God's great love for you. May you be commissioned once again to be overwhelmed by his amazing grace. And may we individually and collectively and communally embody and incarnate that love and grace for the world. In all the places that we feel outrage, may we be overwhelmed by your goodness and by your love. In the places of our life where we feel hatred or animosity, may we be overwhelmed by your goodness, by your love, by your grace. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.